Chapter 1 of A Lost Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lost Lady by Willa Sibbert Cather. Chapter 1. Thirty or forty years ago, in one of those grey towns along the Burlington Railroad, which are so much greyer today than they were then, there was a house well known from Omaha to Denver for its hospitality and for a certain charm of atmosphere. Well known, that is to say, to the railroad aristocracy of that time. Men who had to do with the railroad itself, or with one of the land companies which were its by-products. In those days it was enough to save a man that he was connected with the Burlington. There were the directors, the general managers, vice-presidents, superintendents, whose names we all knew, and their younger brothers or nephews were auditors, freight agents, departmental assistants. Everyone connected with the road, even the large cattle and grain shippers, had annual passes. They and their families rode about over the line a great deal. There were then two distinct social strata in the prairie states, the homesteaders and handworkers who were there to make a living, and the bankers and gentlemen ranchers who came from the Atlantic seaboard to invest money and to develop our great west, as they used to tell us. When the Burlington men were travelling back and forth on business not very urgent, they found it agreeable to drop off the express and spend a night in a pleasant house, where their importance was delicately recognised. And no house was pleasanter than that of Captain Daniel Forrester at Sweetwater. Captain Forrester was himself a railroad man, a contractor, who had built hundreds of miles of roads for the Burlington, over the sagebrush and cattle country, and on up into the Black Hills. The Forrester place, as everyone called it, was not at all remarkable. The people who lived there made it seem much larger and finer than it was. The house stood on a low round hill, nearly a mile east of town, a white house with a wing and sharp sloping roofs to shed the snow. It was encircled by porches, too narrow for modern notions of comfort, supported by the fussy, fragile pillars of that time, when every honest stick of timber was tortured by the turning lathe into something hideous. Stripped of its vines and denuded of its shrubbery, the house would probably have been ugly enough. It stood close into a fine cottonwood grove that threw sheltering arms to left and right, and grew all down the hillside behind it. Thus placed on the hill, against its bristling grove, it was the first thing one saw on coming into Sweetwater by rail, and the last thing one saw on departing. To approach Captain Forrester's property, you had first to get over a wide sandy creek, which flowed along the eastern edge of the town. Crossing this by the footbridge or the ford, you entered the captain's private lane, bordered by Lombardy poplars, with wide meadows lying on either side. Just at the foot of the hill on which the house sat, one crossed the second creek by the stout wooden road bridge. This stream traced artless loops and curves through the broad meadows that were half pasture land, half marsh. Anyone but Captain Forrester would have drained the bottom land, and made it into highly productive fields. But he had selected this place long ago because it looked beautiful to him, and he happened to like the way the creek wound through his pasture, with mint and joint grass and twinkling willows along its banks. He was well off for those times, and he had no children. He could afford to humour his fancies. When the captain drove friends from Omaha or Denver over from the station, in his Democrat wagon, it gratified him to hear these gentlemen admire his fine stock, grazing in the meadows on either side of his lane. And when they reached the top of the hill, it gratified him to see men who were older than himself leap nimbly to the ground and run up the front steps as Mrs. Forrester came out on the porch to greet them. Even the hardest and coldest of his friends, a certain narrow-faced Lincoln banker, became animated when he took her hand, tried to meet the gay challenge in her eyes, and to reply cleverly to the droll word of greeting on her lips. 
She was always there, just outside the front door, to welcome their visitors, having been warned of their approach by the sound of hoofs and the rumble of wheels on the wooden bridge. If she happened to be in the kitchen, helping her bohemian cook, she came out in her apron, waving a buttery iron spoon, or shook cherry-stained fingers at the new arrival. She never stopped to pin up a lock. She was attractive in dishabille, and she knew it. She had been known to rush to the door in her dressing gown, brush in hand, and her long black hair rippling over her shoulders, to welcome Cyrus Dalzell, President of the Colorado and Utah. And that great man had never felt more flattered. In his eyes, and in the eyes of the admiring middle-aged men who visited there, whatever Mrs. Forrester chose to do was ladylike because she did it. They could not imagine her in any dress or situation in which she would not be charming. Captain Forrester himself, a man of few words, told Judge Pomeroy that he had never seen her look more captivating than on the day when she was chased by the new bull in the pasture. She had forgotten about the bull and gone into the meadow to gather wildflowers. He heard her scream, and as he ran puffing down the hill, she was scudding along the edge of the marshes like a hare, beside herself with laughter, and stubbornly clinging to the crimson parasol that had made all the trouble. Mrs. Forrester was twenty-five years younger than her husband, and she was his second wife. He married her in California and brought her to Sweetwater, a bride. They called the place home even then, when they lived there but a few months out of each year. But later, after the captain's terrible fall with his horse in the mountains, which broke him so that he could no longer build railroads, he and his wife retired to the house on the hill. He grew old there, and even she, alas, grew older. End of chapter 1 Recording by Julian Prattley.